This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability. Because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, since October the 7th, when a terrorist group from Hamas entered Israel and slaughtered 1,400 people, most of them living in kibbutzim, most of them peaceful, and indeed, ironically, most of them, many of them liberals, and kidnapped another 230. The world has been witnessing something that is really quite shocking. This is the worst attack in Israel's history, and indeed it's the worst mass killing of Jewish people since the Second World War. It has reverberated around the world. The Israelis are now embarked on revenge, and they have entered Gaza, and what we are witnessing is for everybody difficult. It's particularly difficult politically in Britain for the Labour Party where under the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn there were well-founded accusations, I think, of anti-Semitism being endemic in the party. It caused one politician, Jewish MP Louise Elman, to resign. Dame Louise Elman, as she now is, has since rejoined the Labour Party under the leadership of Sir Keir Starmer. But There is division now, and it's quite serious, in the Labour Party as a result of Keir Starmer's handling of it, and perhaps also as a result of real differences. It's a pleasure now to welcome Chris Johns to the stand. Chris, of course, is one of our more popular contributors. He's a former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland and is now a respected commentator, and he joins us from London. Chris, we are all shocked and sickened by what we're seeing. And at the weekend, around the world, people came onto the streets, including in the United States, all over Europe, and, of course, in the Arab world. There was 100,000 people demonstrating in Britain on Saturday and Sunday. And Sir Keir Starmer and the Labour Party appear to be in trouble. They've had to suspend Andy MacDonald, who is an experienced Labour politician, and wouldn't be described as one of the usual suspects, perhaps, but I'm not sure about that. You'll tell us about that. How difficult will this be for Starmer, and is it proving to be? Because he did give a, an interview to LBC Radio in which he did call for a ceasefire, which proved to be controversial. Yeah, I think it's uh, very difficult for Starmer. It's very difficult for lots of politicians, uh, politically and, and very narrowly. I don't know whether this would be his focus, given the enormity of the 
of the situation. Uh, he's being told by pollsters that he is in danger of not only losing the support of some of his uh, MPs, including some on the front bench, uh, the mayor of London, other mayors around the country, councillors have been resigning. He's losing the unity that he has spent so much time and effort and political capital building back up in the Labour Party, essentially rebuilding the Labour Party following the Corbyn years, the anti-Semitic Corbyn years. It has to be said, you're absolutely right to reference that time and the the attitudes that an awful lot of people in the Labour Party had towards Jewish people. Uh, but um, perhaps even more importantly, again, it's a narrow focus, is the, the number of votes he's likely to lose because he's being told by pollsters that he is risking losing the Muslim vote, which is very important in many key constituencies in the UK. Yes. So it is fascinating to watch this man who's been accused of being a flip-flopper based on the latest poll, based on trying to do whatever it is, whatever it will take to get votes. He has been, he's made this journey from being a supporter of Jeremy Corbyn, serving in his shadow cabinet, uh, to being uh, the man that uh, really is excluding Jeremy Corbyn from the Labour Party and purging a lot of Corbynistas from, from the Labour Party. So the question naturally arises, why is he doing this? Was it just a simple mistake that he is now going to row back from? But I listened to the speech that he made uh, at Chatham House justifying his decision not to call for a ceasefire. And this is a man that I think is trying very carefully not to upset too many people politically. Absolutely, he's a politician through and through. But he's actually taking what he considers to be a very principled stand on the issue. The reasons that he gave at his Chatham House speech were very carefully argued. He said that calling for a ceasefire, I'm paraphrasing slightly, doesn't make an awful lot of sense when you're actually just calling for one side to engage in a ceasefire. He reminded us that Hamas is still firing rockets and doing all sorts of things to Israelis, and not least the things that they have already done, and made the point that the only thing a ceasefire would achieve, other than, I guess, uh, innocent Palestinians not being killed, that's not a trivial matter. But he said that, that militarily, all that a ceasefire would achieve would give Hamas the time to regroup. And in the long run, it wouldn't solve anything. It's a point of view. It's not uh, exclusive to Keir Starmer. I suspect it's been rehearsed in many capitals around the world, not least Washington, D.C. Uh, and I think it's an example of a man that's trying to think through this very, very carefully. And it's also... Uh, a man who clearly knows stuff that he's not able to tell us. He hinted at what I'm about to get at when he was asked a question about Iranian involvement in what's going on in the Middle East. And he stood there and he said, I've been given intelligence briefings about this. And I'm not going to tell you any more than that, other than that I have been told. What we do know about Iranian involvement from all of the spooks who are willing to... Um, uh, in a way, go on the record is that Iran, of course, is 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 up to their necks in what's going on. But what Starmer didn't say is that those briefings from intelligence people. This is my guess now. This is purely a Chris Johns guess as to what's going on. My reading of the situation is that they are being told by those intelligence officials in these very private briefings that are going on to people like Keir Starmer, like Rishi Sunak, like Joe Biden, and all over Europe is that. Yes, a ceasefire would simply delay the inevitable and it risks Hamas regrouping. But the, the second part of the briefing 
is that you can't call for a ceasefire because that will shut down your options for what might be about to happen next to you. Because I think that they're very worried about the security threat, the threat of a terrorist attack now on places like London and Washington, D.C. and New York. That these things, these threats have been around for a long time. Uh, ever since 9-11, we've been told about how various attacks, terrorist attacks on our major cities have been thwarted. And I suspect the threat level has been raised to the maximum now, that they are hoping for the best, uh, but they expect, uh, they are attaching a much higher probability than pre-October the 7th to something very nasty happening in, in, in our part of the world, or at least in my part of the world here in the UK. And they're saying, if you say that Israel is not entitled to strike back at Hamas in the way that it is, you're shutting down options for what you will have to do if you are attacked. So I think this. I think there are all sorts of things going on that we need. We need to be very careful in our use of language and understand that people are thinking about this probably a wee bit more deeply than uh, the chanting of demonstrators would suggest. Yes, and I don't think it's just the Labour Party that's divided on this. And I would say, with the general election perhaps just about twelve months away, that Starmer has a commanding lead in the polls. Sunak has been to Israel. He's given unqualified support. But the other factor in this particular equation is the British media. And it has been very instructive to watch the behaviour. BBC, for example, refused to call Hamas a terrorist group. They called them militants. And as far as I know, they haven't changed their position on that. If I might just interrupt, they have changed it slightly. Slightly. It's it's nuanced now. Every time they mention the word Hamas, they say Hamas, an organization designated terrorist by the British government. Exactly. That's what most of them are doing. So this is difficult territory. But the British media, of course, is anti-Labour and anti-left and indeed anti-Palestine, you might think. But he has to take into account some of the media coverage of this in Britain, which is, well, should we say, it's likely to incite people and not in a good way. Yeah, we, we, we don't have a good media here in, in the UK. We've, we've talked about this in so many different ways, in so many different contexts. Uh, we, we have today the uh, ongoing COVID-19 inquiry, which, of course, gets relegated to the back pages, if it, if it features on the pages at all, of newspapers that celebrated originally Boris Johnson's brilliant handling of the COVID epidemic. And the stuff that's coming out of this COVID inquiry is jaw-dropping. But as as you say, the newspapers um, lauded Johnson's ability to deal with the COVID inquiry. Just look at some of the stuff that's coming out to see just just how wrong those, those newspapers are. Now, in relation to Keir Starmer and his handling of the media, just like... Uh, every Labour leader before him, but particularly Tony Blair, he has to handle the media very, very carefully and make compromises with the media. Otherwise, he's not going to get elected, is the fear. Um, You have to have a a policy towards the media. And this is where there is a very naked, perhaps cynical calculation going on, which is that if he gives the media any stick with which to beat him with, they are most definitely going to do that. And it doesn't matter whether it's over taxation, over government spending, or any policy. And on this issue, 
if he starts banging uh, the, the ceasefire drum in particular or any anti-Israel drum, they're going to go at him for being anti-Semitic. They're going to say he's just just like Corbyn, and it will be very unfair. It would be very wrong. So that's one very naked political calculation that he, he, he has to do. So I think there are lots of reasons, lots of reasons for his stance. I think there's a principled one, and I do believe that he actually believes what he's saying is that a ceasefire doesn't make any sense on its own terms, a one-sided one. He doesn't think that it ultimately it will benefit anybody other than Hamas. And that what is and the third thing is that naked political calculation of being seen to be anti-Semitic in the old-fashioned Labour way. Yes, but on that flank, he seems to have... I watched Dame Louise Almond on television last night, on BBC actually, give him cover. She said she supported his stance. She supported also what he has done in the Labour Party to eliminate from any influence at all that wing of the party that supported Jeremy Corbyn. The other issue that arose at the weekend was there was a massive demonstration right across the world. There were demonstrations and and they were pro-Palestinian demonstrations on the whole. Suella Braverman, who is the Home Secretary now, an increasingly controversial figure in British politics, she talked about hate marches, and that's a direct quote, as opposed to hate speech. She described the marches as hate marches, and she clashed with the head of the Metropolitan Police on the definition of hate and what and when the Metropolitan Police can intervene. So she seems to be planning for the election after Sunak is dumped by the Tories and to be the leader of the opposition. She cuts a rather sinister figure to many of us over here, and I imagine around Britain. It's, it's, it's totally sinister, totally sinister, and frankly, completely stupid. Uh, the, what she is, they often go together. What she is doing is saying there is going to be an election, as you just alluded yeah. to there, for the leader of the Tory party after the next general election. That may or may not be right, um, but that is the, the working assumption that we all hold. And that in order to win this election to be the next leader of the Tory party, she has to appear to appeal to the few tens of, tens of thousands of uh, people who belong to the Tory party. And uh, she needs to throw them, every time she opens her mouth, some red meat. And this was just one more example of this. Now, the, the problem, of course, is that she's not just some uh, wide-eyed um, Looney Tune backbencher, of which there are plenty in the Tory party. She also happens to be the Home Secretary, one of the great offices of state of the UK. Now, a proper Home Secretary here in Britain would have said, in response to those marches, the line between hate speech and free speech is very difficult to draw in a free society. And we've tried to do that. We have legislation for hate speech. It's a, a real difficult thing for the police to implement because when that line can be fuzzy at times, we are doing our best. We think, I think as Home Secretary, there is a, a po- the possibility, if not probability, that some of those marchers crossed that line between free speech and hate speech. And I hope that the police are looking at it in the same way that I am. I think that would have been a reasonable thing to say. Instead, we got this Looney Tune thing that she tarred all of the demonstrators with the same brush, yes, 
But she wasn't speaking to the demonstrators. She wasn't speaking to you or me, Eamon. She wasn't speaking to the British electorate. She, she was, was speaking, speaking to the Tory members. To the members of the Tory yes. party. And this is the kind of stuff that they lap up. These, they, these, are, these people are the people who stand at the corner bar in your, your, your golf club. Um, and essentially, what she is doing, every time that she thinks about opening her mouth, um, because I do think she's thinking about this. She asks the question, what would Nigel say? Nigel being Farage, of course. Because one of the things that is, has been mooted in, in the wake of the, the conference season here, because you might know that Nigel Farage turned up to the Tory party conference. I think he might be doing, I'm a something or other, get me out of here. He signed up for that. It may, be, it may clash with the Tory party conference, but I take your point. There's a semi-serious suggestion during the rounds, aim that he might be the next leader of the Tory party. Yeah, I've no doubt that anyone could be if Soella Barverman and some of the others that are mentioned in dispatches have their hats in the ring, as it were. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. The question, though, is of the way this particular issue, but not only this issue, is dividing Britain. And I think the concept of a hate march is frankly dangerous. Oh, it is. There and, were and people shout, shouting jihad. On the fringes of what happened at the weekend, there were half a dozen guys on the street corner talking about jihad. But in general, the marches, not just in London, in Rome, in Berlin, everywhere around Europe, and indeed 
right across the United States. On the whole, they were protests at the Israeli reaction, rather even than the original terrorist act of slaughtering in a very shocking, nihilistic way 1,400 Jewish people. Yeah, there are so many strands there, Eamon. First of all, it's really curious, isn't it, that there aren't very many, if any, anti-Hamas demonstrations around the world. Uh, We seem to be a society across a number of countries that um, uh, we've, we've, we've chosen our side, haven't we? And I think that's the first trap that we've all fallen into. And um, I'm trying very hard here not to say that I am on either side of this other than to note its complexity. And what, what we do, what a lot of these demonstrators do, whichever side, whichever side they are demonstrating for, um, is that you've got two or 3,000 years of historical facts, so many of them, thousands of facts about uh, who has done what to whom over what time period, when, Um, great wrong has been done by both sides, great wrong has been done to both sides, and you can pick a subset of those historical facts to enable you to construct any narrative that you want, but particularly to justify the side that you pick. I happened to be outside um, Leeds University of all places last week, and there was a a pro-Palestinian demonstration taking place. And I noticed the the vast majority of the demonstrators were carrying pre-printed placards with the name of a political party, a very uh, minor fringe political party on the far left here. So I went and had a look at the website of this particular party. And this particular party, who printed all the posters for the student demonstration, uh, stated as a fact that the uh, Hamas attacks were on soldiers and soldiers only, and that the number of deaths was exaggerated, and all of the talk of rape, beheading, mutilation, burning, all of that horrible stuff that we are pretty sure happened, didn't happen. So the the amount of misinformation and just fantasy that's out there is extremely worrying. There's sinister stuff going on on all sides. I'm not saying that uh, that particular side has a monopoly. That that would not be represented if there was, in fact, a pro-Palestinian protest in Harvard University last week as well. Yeah. Did you see the clip of a, uh, we think it's a student, tearing down the um, pictures of the kidnapped victims that had been posted outside Harvard University and speaking to camera, talking about Hitler having the right idea and that all, did, of, these, I, all of these people need to die? I didn't, I didn't see that, but what I mm. have seen, what we do, and this is where it's unavoidable to get into facts, and I think if we stick to facts, it's easier for everybody that the unequivocal condemnation of Hamas for the action of October the 7th is an absolute must. Do you think, it's, do you think the condemnation has been unequivocal, universally, well, uh, globally? Well, this is what I'm expressing. I'm a journalist, and facts have to be the basis of what I believe. Do I think the support for Palestine or the Palestinian people has been unequivocal. Yes, and I think it needs to be. There are, as we speak, Chris, and I'm sure you know, this. there is a shocking operation on the way that the Israeli government is driving. It has so far, and these are figures 
validated by the Palestinian Red Crescent, by the United Nations, of 2,700 women and 3,500 children, all of whom are innocent, who have died. These are figures that are tabulated. If you go to today's Financial Times, you'll see them quoted. The point is, the good journalists and the trusted media need to have facts. They do. And they need to have their facts in place. They are not the kind of people who should be tearing down posters. Unfortunately, it's easy to switch on your television or read it, buy a newspaper in Britain and around the world, in fact, although not notably in this country, which would have been doing the journalist equivalent of tearing down posters. Absolutely right. And um, I think that uh, the reason why I asked you the question is I think that some of the, some of the, there is a lot of equivocation going on. And just to be absolutely clear, I'm not trying to justify anybody's actions at any point in time. I'm just trying to understand what's going on, try to get some clarity in order to try and, I suppose, figure out what might happen next. And yeah, I mean, the- just, you're trying to put a count. I mean, just last week, Antonio Gutierrez, the Secretary General of the United Nations, said that October the 7th had a context. He was that was that was a stupid thing for the Secretary General of the United well, Nations I, to say. Well, Israel called for his resignation. Indeed. Now, I think what happened on October seventh clearly did have a context. What's happening in Gaza as we speak right here now, where hospitals, for example, are being targeted, people have been urged to move her in, you know, intensive care and all of that. This is where you and I clearly disagree, but they can't move. If they move, they'll die. There are two narratives, but that seems to me to be indisputable. The question is, there is a propaganda war, would you agree? Oh, totally. And, and, and both, the propaganda both sides war are deploying. is on both sides. Absolutely, 100%. Couldn't, and so the first thing one must do is distrust an awful lot of what one is seeing, reading, and hearing. Uh, but the thing about context, Damon... There are two things I'd say to you about that. One is that it seems to me that only one side is able to deploy that word context. And I think it's very interesting that it's it's usually the Palestinians have all the context and the Israelis don't have very much at all. Um, I observe that as, I think, a fact, if you were to just count the number of times that word is used on both sides in in the context of both sides. Why do you think Antonio Guterres was wrong to describe or to invoke the idea of a context. Because it's a bit like from the river to the sea uh, quote that has got that Labour MP into so much trouble. In the right context, it can be used in a very clear, consistent, non-threatening, non-violent, legal way that doesn't upset anybody. Uh, Various people have used it indeed in in the correct way. But everybody... Every sentient human being knows that in the current environment, it is totally inflammatory and that if you use it, you are going to yes. get yourself into an awful lot of trouble. Yes. If you thought otherwise, either you are either stupid or naive. But somebody, yeah, that MP... The ambiguity contained within that phrase, yeah. the historical ambiguity, yes. is dangerous. Anybody that has been around this debate for any length of time knows that if you use that word, those words at any time, it's, go- it's going to be problematic. And in the current circumstances, 
it is a downright dangerous thing to do. And the MP concerned is neither naive nor stupid, and he knew exactly what he was doing. So did Gutierrez. He knows that context can be used and is used quite properly, quite appropriately. Everything has context. And when discussed between people who know what the context is and why we're using that word, can be used in a non-inflammatory way. But the way in which context is used at the moment is it's, it's not to say that uh, there were a set of circumstances that created the conditions for X to happen are because of all these Y different factors, and we're having a reasoned debate about how we might actually do something about all of the factors that have led to what has happened. What people use this context for is to hide behind a justification for what has happened. And that's the dangerous line that's crossed here, is that when you say that these events have context, you risk, maybe appropriately, maybe completely inappropriately, but again, you have to be pretty stupid not to know that if you start using the word context right now, somebody is going to stand up and say, you're just, you're not putting something in context, you're justifying something. Okay, well, let me put this to you finally, Chris, because we're running out of time. In the latest opinion polls taken in Israel, post-October 7th, the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, comes out very badly. People want him out. Quite rightly. The majority of people want him out. And yes. that contextualizes something as well. They want him out for a number of reasons. One of them is he tried to blame at the weekend in a tweet the Israeli intelligence service and the Israeli army. He had to immediately delete the tweet. But they also want him out because he's fighting criminal charges, very similar indeed to Donald Trump in that respect. And they also want him out, many of them, because they don't like what's happening to Israel. They don't like what's happening on the West Bank. There are many things about this far-right Israeli government, which I take it we agree it is far-right. 100%. Right. Now, that is a context, Chris. For, Absolutely. I couldn't agree does, more. It we, we're, we're, having, we're having a... Of, well, what right this man has to lead what he called last night, this, he said, is a time for war. So I would question, and I'd, I'd be interested more in your opinion than my own, I would question his right and the, the small group of four people around him, hardliners, all of them, to actually lead Israel in these circumstances and indeed to lead Israel and the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, the way they are being led. And I'm not the only person. Joe Biden has said to him, among others, and Biden is very, very close to Israel and has been throughout his political career, that this is not the right path. 100% amen. And you used the word context there properly, because although the way in which I'm about to use it is also, I think, a proper use of the word context, and therefore doesn't in any way, shape, or form justify the Hamas attacks, one piece of context is that they exploited the divisions in Israel uh, that have taken place under Netanyahu's leadership, and in particular, the way in which those divisions led to the defense forces in Israel, the security services in particular, taking their eye off the ball. Yes. And they were able to exploit the fact that Israel has an absolutely appalling, abhorrent leadership 
that has um, divided their country, and the, you, you will know that many members of the defense forces were refusing to serve under Netanyahu before all this took place. Yes. That's changed now. Uh, there has been more unity under Netanyahu. We'll, we'll, it will remain to be seen just how long that, that unity lasts. But the planes are full. El Al planes are about the only ones going to Israel at the moment from around the world. And they're full of uh, Jewish people going back to, to join the army. Yes, so, indeed. Let me ask you one final question, Chris. Surely this is not going to be the issue upon which the Tories are sustained in power after the next, next British general election, which, to go back to the original discussion we were having about Keir Starmer and the Labour Party's ability to look like a government in waiting. Yeah, as I said, it's, it's going to cost Starmer votes, is the current thinking. Now, there's a long way to go between now and the next election, so it's, it's very uh, far too early to say that this issue or indeed any issue, could cost him the election. But it's definitely, if it was to be held today, I suspect his lead would be cut a lot by the fact that a lot of Muslim voters are going yes. would not vote for him. Who they vote for remains to be seen, because uh, there's, there's nobody jumping up. You know, They're not going to vote for Sunak, um, no. because he has exactly the same set of policies. It's similar in the United States. That it, there is active talk that this really could cost Biden the election against yes, Trump. Indeed. But yeah. why on earth would you vote for Trump um, because of Biden's stance over the Israel-Hamas war, uh, when Donald Trump, in the last few hours, has state, restated his policy of excluding Muslims from immigrating into the United States. You might remember he did that for a while. I did, yeah. No, no Muslims allowed in. And so you've, you've got uh, people saying Biden is going to lose to Trump because of his Israeli policies. And the suggestion, therefore, that people might then vote for Trump um, with his Islamophobic policies, um, defies all reason. But I, I suspect that defying all reason is, is is the right way to think about a lot a lot of these issues. But the, the, the particular point about there being political consequences here in the UK for Keir Starmer of supporting Israel, or at least not calling for a ceasefire, let, let's put it put it that way, tells you that there are going to be loads of unforeseen consequences to this. Yes, we, we, we cannot see what's going to happen next militarily on the ground. There are plenty of historians who are saying this is like June 1914 yes. when the Archduke Ferdinand was shot and that this is in grave danger of spiraling out of control yes. in predictable and unpredictable ways. And I think that's absolutely the right way to think about it. Okay, Chris, as always, you're very grateful to for joining us on the stand, that's Chris Johns. Chris is a very respected commentator, former chief economist with Bank of Ireland, and we're very grateful to him, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.